Blog Talk Radio. And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru. Wine Talk for today, Thursday, October 14th, 2010. It's 7 p.m. Eastern, and I'm your host, Stu the Wine Guru, coming to you live from beautiful Coral Springs, Florida, as I always do. I'll take your calls anytime during the show at 1-646-381-4860 or email me your questions at info at stewthewineguru.com. You can also go into the chat room here on my show page and chat with other wine enthusiasts or tweet me any questions you like at stewthewineguru on Twitter and add hashtag or pound sign STWG to the end of your question and I'll read them live on the show. I want to say thanks to all the listeners out there for getting the word out about my show. Welcome to all of you listening worldwide. Call that how people meets the power of the internet. Now, if you want to find out more about me, just Google Stu the Wine Guru. You can find the websites, videos, articles, and shows I'm currently a part of. Speaking of articles and reviews, I'm writing wine articles and reviews for Yahoo and the Examiner. So look for those as well. A lot of the industry portals pick that up. I made a Wine 101 video series that can be viewed on both YouTube, my website, and uh, also many other uh, video portals, uh, internet portals, and they're now, they've been translated into different languages. You're listening to Student Wine Guru on blogtalkradio.com. I think you already knew that already, right? Yeah. Cheers. If you've been listening to the show, you'll know that from time to time I have guests who sponsor the show. Tonight is an example of that. My guest for the evening is a wine journalist extraordinaire. He wrote the consummate guide to California wines over 30-plus years ago. And now he has re-released a new version of the book. The name of this must-have. Definitely a must-have tone. Is the new Connoisseur's Guidebook to California Wines and Wineries. His name, Charles Oaken, and he will be with us shortly. Of course, the number to call in is 1646-381-4860. Or if you're shy and you prefer the computer, some of your questions for both Charles and I, to info at stewthewineguru.com, or you can tweet your questions to stewthewineguru on Twitter and add at, uh, let's see, pound side or... Uh, hashtag SDWG at the end of your question, and I'll read it live on the air. 
As always, I've opened the chat room for the listeners to go into and chat. You can also ask questions of Charles or myself, and I'll check into the chat room periodically during the show to get answers for you. But first up, I want to thank the listeners who are following me on Twitter. I'm enjoying this social network. I have to tell you, I love the ability to talk directly with you. Uh, I like to give you updates in real time, and my guests are doing the same to promote the show, so thanks to Twitter and social media. Some show notes. I was just this morning on NBC, the Miami affiliate this morning, did a segment with uh, Roxanne Vargas, who is really great, I have to say. Thank you, Roxanne. Uh, we discussed the show. Uh, we discussed the upcoming Miami International Wine Fair, which is coming up this weekend, and I demonstrate the proper wine assessment techniques that everyone should know on how to actually sip and enjoy wine. I want to thank NBC for having me this morning, and I hope everyone watching enjoyed it as much as I did doing it. Also, for all of you wanting to know what events I'll be attending, so you can meet me like my tweets do on Twitter. As I mentioned, I will be at the Miami International Wine Fair this weekend. I will be covering the whole event, interviewing, interviewing winemakers, exhibitors, keynote speakers, and even attendees. So come down, meet me, find me, and say hi. Since I'm a media sponsor for the Miami International Wine Fair, I was able to work out an incredible deal for all of my listeners. When you purchase your tickets online at www.miamiwinefair.com, put in the discount code STWG and receive a 20% discount off your ticket purchase. Now, even better, if you've been following me on Twitter, then you know that I'll be giving away free two tickets to the Miami International Wine Fair, and this is your last broadcast to call in and win your, yours. So all you have to do to win them is call to the show, and I'll pick a call at random. Maybe that's you, and you can win the hottest tickets in Miami. Remember, if you have questions, I have answers and tickets to give away. So call me at 1-646-381-4860 or email me at info at stupidwineguru.com. Get into the chat room, post your opinion. Of course, you can get on Twitter and tweet your questions, as some of them have already done already, and put them to at stewthewineguru.com. Excuse me. <laughs> put them at at stewthewineguru. Remember to add a hashtag or pound sign STWG at the end of your question, and we'll ask it of Charles. Let me make sure that everyone listening knows Charles's website and can go there for more information about his great book and website. Uh, it's www.cgcw.com. You can find out about him, California wineries, California wines, and maybe buy his book directly from him. That's the beauty of the internet. You can sip some wine while you buy a book about wine. So without further wait, let me bring on the man of the hour, Charles Olkin. Welcome, Charles. Uh, good evening, Stu. How are you? Well, just great. We're um, experiencing some Indian summer here in California, which we very much needed. Absolutely. I've been hearing about it from some of the winemakers that I've been talking to on the show recently. I want to first thank you for sponsoring and joining me on my show and speaking with my listeners about your fantastic book, your website, and uh, all the resources that you have for California wines. Thanks so much. Um, I do want to start off with my questions for you. I have a couple of questions. I also have some tweeted questions, and there are more tweeted questions that have just come in, and some email questions. So we're going to kind of hit all of the different engines, if you will. Uh, so please tell my listeners a little about your background. Well, I mean, what started your passion for any wine, not just California wine? <laughs> well, uh, I grew up in an, in an ethnic neighborhood back east, and uh, some of those kids um, 
were first generation, and they drank wine at home. And so uh, it was kind of like we drank wine. I mean, we weren't beer drinkers, you know. And right. then I got to college, and uh, what really changed things, we used to um, do little um, barbecues in our fireplace, and I was buying wine from the local wine guy, and I was buying okay. Gallo Burgundy. And I went in there one night. I mean, I'm not 21, and he's still selling it to me, but they know the college kids are okay. So he, he said to me, you know, you ought to try this Gallo Hardy Burgundy. It's 10 cents more. You know, in those days, it's 89 cents and 99 cents. And right. we tried it. We, so I bought both bottles, brought them back, and my roommates and I on our dates tried them. It was our first blind tasting. And lo and behold, okay. the better the better wine won, and that just started us. Uh, by the time we were... Graduated college, we were very cool. We were drinking dollar sixty nine Beaujolais, and we thought we were very cool. And there you go. You, you and then I went out to there, California huh? for graduate school, and it was all here. And so it just gotcha. it, it just uh, became part of what I did. Um, and somewhere along that line, I began to read everything that was out there and realized no one was writing for the California collector. And here I was mm -hmm. beginning to develop a little cellar and reading everything else. And I had an idea that possibly there were other crazies like me who wanted specific California wine information. And with that, right. I started Connoisseur's Guide to California Wine in November 1974. And then a few years later, uh, with my partner Earl Singer and uh, my friend Norm Roby, we wrote the first of the uh, connoisseur's handbooks and uh, that book stayed in print for about 25 years the newsletter has been in print now for 35 years and a couple of years ago with the old book kind of gotten tired it was time for a new book that uh, went in a new direction de depended much more on geography which became much more important um, sure and so that was the genesis for the new book and so here I am New website, new book, and still in the wine biz. Some exciting stuff, huh? Well, it's been a it's been a lovely way to make a living. Actually, uh, yeah, I, I can. I... Yeah, I taste wine Go for ahead. a living. I mean, how how bad can that be? <laughs> you do what you love, and you love what you do, right, Charles? Exactly. If I so, couldn't be a left-handed pitcher, I had to be a wine taster. One or the other. Yeah, you see. Now, were you Yankee or, or Mets? I'm a Red Sox fan, actually. Uh, oh, you were, you were in New York you were, when you said you were up north. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Bostonian. I, you see, I made the assumption. Yeah. No, I'm a Bostonian. <laughs> you can't say Yankees to me. No, that's, believe me, I, I take it back now. <laughs> I feel I, better I'm already. Florida long enough. Was that, you know, no, I, I know those are fighting words. Um, so, so as a wine journalist, who, I mean, because I, I have to ask you, obviously, it begs the question, who inspired you when you first started, and, and, you know, who inspires you now? Well, early on, I think you'd have to say that people at Ridge, uh, David Benyon, who was one of the founders of Ridge, and then Paul Draper, who came into that operation along about the time that I started collecting. Um, we used to go up to Ridge. It was just, you know, it was practically in the neighborhood. It's just... Uh, west of San Jose in the hills, uh, up in in um, the Napa Valley, 
uh, Mike Richmond, who was then at Fremark Abbey and is now at Bouchain, uh, he became a very right. close friend and uh, was a guy that used to say, you know, have you tried this wine or that wine? Go to this small producer. Um, you know, introduced mm -hmm. us to Stony Hill, introduced us to the old Souverain, um, when okay. it was a small winery up in the, the hills of Napa. Um, sure. You know, so those are probably a couple of people that were very important. Louis Martini, uh, a, a guy oh, that was yeah. very friendly. And then sort of once we got in the business, uh, Tim Mondavi became a good friend. So okay. those are the people, I think, that were there when we were starting. Now, did you meet Robert? Yeah, but, you know, Robert uh, was operating at a, at a, you know, he was running the whole show. Tim was my age, and um, he was the guy that was running around with the young journalists. You know, Robert was sure. running around with Robert Lawrence Balzer and Leon Adams and, you know, that crowd that was that were his age peers. And the younger I guys see. like me were running around with Tim. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. I definitely, I, I definitely can see that. Um, and so now who, you know, Obviously, things have changed a little bit, but who inspires you now, just out of curiosity? Well, you know, at this point, with 3,000 wineries in California, there are probably a couple hundred people, but um, I, right. can, I can tell you that uh, I like very much the work that David Ramey is doing, uh, both at his own winery and at the wineries where he consults, Lancaster, um, the, the upscale red wines at Rodney Strong that have become so good lately, our wine mm -hmm. that Ramey's involved with. Um, Greg Bjornstad, who for years was in partnership with uh, Greg LaFollette at Tandem Wines, started his mm -hmm. own winery called Bjornstad. And he's making very crisp, bright, uh, lower alcohol Chardonnays, both for himself and at a winery called Fendler. Um, okay. I, I think the world of Greg, I think he's he's moving Moving the bar in California wine. Um, guys well, like Bob good. Cabral at William Selyam, who I think has really set the standard for Russian River Pinot Noir. Right. Interesting. And, you know, I, you know it's amazing to me. Uh, that's very hard to do, what you just mentioned, as far as moving the bar. Um, I, I think probably my listeners may take that concept lightly. But that's a, a very big accomplishment to do that because a lot of, uh, you know, California, I don't want to say with absolutely very little disrespect whatsoever, uh, none whatsoever to California wines. But, you know, there was, it, there was a time where it became a little stagnant and a lot of the wines started to taste very similar because they were driven by the consumer, um, whereas the winemakers cotton back. And I mentioned this, and I talked with this about with uh, Chuck Wagner uh, last night, and that is that uh, I think people in California have now gone back to, hey, you know what, let's make it the way we like to make it, uh, you know, put our stamp, our signature on it, and make it unique. And that movement has really taken off, I'd say in the past five or so years, five or six years, I've noticed, here and there with different winemakers. And, it, and you know, it's refreshing. It's, it's needed because, uh, you know, in any region it can get that way. I don't think it's just indigenous to uh, or indicative of uh, California. I think, it, you know, it can just happen. So uh, we'll be making wine for so long. Uh, and, and, you know, Napa and California is very new in the grand scheme of winemaking to the, you know, to the uh, industry. 
you know, at large. So I guess the, the next question I was going to ask you about was uh, what is it about California wine versus French or Spanish wine that drives you? Well, uh, the first obvious thing is I live here. Um, right. And so when I started, when I went from being somebody who drank wine, you know, with dinner, with, you know, mm-hmm. to being a collector, I was here. And so I was learning about wine here. Uh, and and so it started just by being here, I got to know, and getting interested, I got to know California wine uh, as a young person, and that's what I first started collecting. Um, in those days, you didn't buy only California wine anyhow because, uh, you know, the French and the German wines in particular uh, were the, the world leaders and some of the Italians. Uh, right. But and far more if, you were, if you were going to be a collector, say, in the early 1970s, you were buying the wines of Shalom, Joseph Swan, um, Hansel, Stony Hill, the, the small wineries that you could get to personally that mm-hmm. maybe you couldn't find in a, in a store somewhere else. So that's how I got into California wine. Um, I see. If you look at my wine cellar, it has wine from everywhere. But as a writer, um, my unique advantage among most of the writers is that I live here. And I'm Although I live in the Bay Area, that means I'm an hour away from wine country north and south. And so I'm, yes. I, just as an avocation, I was always going there and learning, gotcha. tasting. And so that became so much, it's so much easier when it's right there. So that's how that's California true. became the focus of, of my cellar. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to say, being that you are a sponsor, I, I do have to take a, a commercial break here for a second and run a commercial. Uh, so we'll take a second. Here we go. Charles Olkin is the author of The New Connoisseur's Guidebook to California Wine and Wineries. For 35 years, Connoisseur's Guide has been the authoritative voice of the California wine With readers in all 50 states and 21 countries, the guide has been valued by wine lovers everywhere for its honesty and for its strong adherence to the principles of transparency, unbiased, hard-hitting opinion. Go to www.cgcw.com. So what I wanted to do was uh, maybe take some of the uh, tweeted questions, or actually one of the tweeted questions that uh, I thought was kind of interesting. Um, which actually just came in. Get to that. Uh, let's see. So MC Wine. Uh, and MC Wine is, let me just see where MC Wine is. Bear with me a second. Out of, of course, Napa Valley. Tim McDonald. Uh, it says, um, I like the way you all score there at CC, at CG. WG, I guess is what he was trying to say. How does a wine get a puff or two? Texture, balance, length of fruit, how about three? So that was the question. Well, uh, that's a, a very good question. The whole question of, of how people 
great wines and scoring systems has always been uh, with us. And it, uh, when we started, um, we liked the scoring system that was used by the Guide Michelin in France, where the restaurants were one, two, and three stars. Right. And uh, so we adopted that system of one, two, and three stars. And somewhere along the line, someone started calling them puffs. That was never our term, but uh, okay. somewhere somebody started calling the puffs, and everybody uh, accepted that as as what our our design was. Um, okay, and so uh, our standards were, I think, best described as at a, as a one star wine. It was a wine that we considered to be free of flaws and a good example of its type. Um, Right. which means that you could like it, you could serve it with a variety of foods that went with that particular uh, wine varietal. Uh, and it was a perfectly good wine, solid sound. And uh, Historically, that's been about 30% of all the wines we review. Um, the two-star level, we consider to be a very high-level uh, wines that are, are wonderful to drink, uh, sellable if they are wines of a variety that should be put in the cellar, um, special experiences, and probably about 6 or 8% of the wines we review. And we didn't design these numbers. It just sort of happened that way. Um, okay. But, but the, you know, the top, so the top 6 or 8% are getting a two-star rating, and the three-star rating uh that's when you make wine that's so good that um, we have to put it in the cellar and buy it. And happy to tell everybody else this is a great wine, a, a wonderful example of type. Um, somewhere between one and two percent of the wines we review uh, wind up at the one, at the three star level. So the question that that was asked. Um, how do we get to that? Well, we taste everything right. blind, and so all of the inputs that you get, how the wine smells, is it correct for variety? Uh, is the aroma, are the aromas balanced? Can you can you get a sense of depth and and complexity in the mouth? Is it is it balanced? Um, how is it put together? How does it feel? Um, if it's tannic, is, it, is the fruit going to balance that up and outlast the tannins? Um, how, what's the length of the aftertaste? What's the character of the aftertaste? And so it, it's, a, it's a good question, but it's also a hard question to answer because um, there aren't half a dozen inputs, but probably 75 or 100. And you're not really going through a checklist in your mind, but as you're tasting wine, things strike you. Um, you get yeah. a sense of things that are that are working with that wine, and those are the impressions that then go into the the tasting notes that we publish. So there isn't really one or two good answers to that, but probably a couple of dozen or more. Sure, um, and you know I can imagine it's it's, it's not kind of tough to kind of disseminate and and and. Um, Dice up, if you will, or dissect, I should say, the the answer to that because, as like you said, there's so many different uh, ways to approach it. 
Um, so I have I, I have another question here. So so after you wrote the first guidebook so many years back, did you ever think, hey, you know, I could write these for French wine, Italian wine, you know, right? Because I I could travel. I certainly would. I would think that you'd want to travel and and taste other wines and spend a little time in France. Certainly doesn't hurt, or Italy for that matter. Um, since you did such a, an incredible job with the uh, the California guide. And I know that you live there, so that kind of gives you that advantage. Did you ever think of, you know, maybe saying, "Hey, let me let me take this, you know, to other wine regions"? Um, we did, and we concluded that uh, we had a unique advantage in writing about California wine that we wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, we're here; we're visiting the wineries all the time. It's easy to get to them. Uh, if you're working on the west and the east coast and you're doing the entire world, you get to California twice a year. I get to the wine country five days a week. And so right. our conclusion, my, myself and my, my partner at the time, uh, we concluded that this is where we were uniquely strong relative to other writers. And not only that, but there were okay. plenty of California wines and, and we were having a good time. But Stu has to travel. Um, I, I go to uh, Europe and to Australia and South America almost every year just for the fun of going there. Uh, I recently wrote sure. a blog entry that that uh, you know talked about uh, travels, and basically the point was uh, when we go on travel, it's like a busman's holiday. You know, a bus driver if he goes on a driving holiday, that's a busman's holiday. For a wine writer, yeah. I go to I go to right. Provence, I go to Tuscany, I go to the Mendoza in Argentina, I go to the Barossa in Australia, because they're beautiful places, and they're interesting things to do there. And there's wine, and yeah. I don't spend the whole time doing wine, but you know, if you go to Tuscany, it's a gorgeous place. You go to Florence, you go to oh, yeah. Siena. If you go to beautiful. Argentina, you go to Buenos Aires. So like our travel is a family has always been wine-oriented. We get to do it anyhow. Yeah, I, and I can understand that. That that makes sense. I guess, you know, there's, there's two trains of thought. There's the thought of, well, I'm so good at doing this, I'm sure I can apply it to other regions. Or there's the thought of, I'm so good at doing this, I'm just going to do this. And and like you said, travel and go on vacation and uh, experience the wines in other places, but not necessarily, not necessarily having to write about it if you want to, you do. If you don't, you don't. But uh, you experience it a, as a vacation and a holiday. So, yeah, makes sense. Um, what what were the first comments on the original book from your fellow journalists 30-some-odd years ago? The book really has been extraordinarily well-received from its very beginning because uh, we conceived it as – um, a California encyclopedia. Uh, there was no right. such book in print, just as there was nobody writing about California wine in a, in a monthly publication when we started. There was no uniquely California book with background into the wineries, the different locations, the vineyards, the grapes, growing conditions, historical perspective on the vintages. Nobody had put that book together. And so right. our our intention was to write that book um, because we were beginning to accumulate that information. Uh, 
uh, we were, you know, as we were writing our newsletter, and and we started as amateurs. I mean, I have to say we were just collectors, and we thought we knew a lot about California wine until we started writing, and then we realized how much we didn't know. Uh, right. But, but over, you know, over the time, uh, when you start to accumulate information uh, in a professional way uh, for writing it, you begin to categorize the background information as well. And so that's what drove drove the book. What turned right. out is that it became, for other writers, um, their reference book. Now, one of the things that caused us to put the book back in print after it was out of print for about six or eight years because it had been in print 25 years, we'd been doing it, kind of old hat, it wasn't new anymore. Um, one of the things that encouraged me to go back and rewrite the book was the number of, of my peers who said to me, I still use the old book. It's still the best reference book on California wine. And, uh, yeah, I can imagine. And so my thought was, yeah, okay, we can do that. And then as I looked at the book, I realized the world has changed. We're now much more geography-oriented in terms of how we view wine. California isn't the Napa Valley and a few other areas. When I started, Napa Valley was the focus of the wine industry with a few other places. Within 10 years, we'd expanded south of the Bay through Monterey to Santa Barbara. We'd opened up uh, Selma and Mendocino, which really weren't making a lot of varietal wines. Became At the time. Right. Became places that people began to take these grapes that were there, that they were putting in jug wine or in blended wines, and saying, wait, I can take this Zinfandel or I can take this Petit Syrah and, and treat it with more care and make a great wine. And so sure. those things happened. And then in Sonoma, they discovered if they start planting in the cool areas, that those cool areas were good for the varieties like Pinot Noir and, and, and Chardonnay. Um, sure, sure. And that, you know, for instance, the plantings in, in, in Pinot Noir that went into the western part of Sonoma County, the Russian River Valley uh, heading out to the coast, that changed the way that Pinot Noir worked in California. Uh, that right. was a real game changer, and that didn't happen until we'd been in business for several years. So everything sure. has changed in the business, and now we talk about lots of areas, and we have the, the – the change in, in the way wine appellations work so that uh, there are 136 different separate small AVAs uh, appellations, uh, 14 in the Napa Absolutely. Valley, yeah. 13 in Sonoma. And again, changing the way that people understand wine. And so the new book is geography-driven rather than winery-driven. We start right. with the geography, we talk about what grows there, and then we talk about what wineries are there and how they how they do with within the context of that geography. We have a call. We have a caller. I want to take a call for you here. Uh, hold on one second. Hi, caller. What is your name, and where are you calling from? Hi, Stu. It's Kimberly here. How are you? Hey, Kimberly. How are you? I'm doing good. Excellent. You have a question for Charles this evening? 
I do. I do. Um, first of all, uh, Charles, thank you because it's been great listening to you. And um, I apologize if this is something redundant. I had a little bit of trouble uh, locking on and hearing you guys today. So, so I, um, I did want to ask, though, um, do you feel that your book, and also, you know, I'm looking on your, your website as well, do you feel that this book, along with all the other information that you provide on the web, is a good way for people to understand that California is vast when it comes to these different regions and that the wines in Sonoma are different from the wines in Napa and so on, because I, I think that maybe a lot of wine drinkers might lump it all together still, you know, and um, whereas it's, it really is its own world of wines and tastes and, and, you know, and regions in itself. And so I wondered if that was kind of a part of the goal for the work that you do. Well, in particular, it is in the book because the book is the background piece that explains what's going on in the newsletter. The newsletter is mostly about wine reviews. Okay. The book is the background, the, the information, the reference material. So, for instance, not only is Sonoma different from Napa, which is, you know, something that is really important, but Sonoma itself is a very large county. Um, it's And so from... Southern Sonoma, which starts at the San Francisco Bay, all the way up to northern Sonoma, which is running into Mendocino County, you go from a very cold area up to a warmer area. And then you get into western Sonoma County, again, out by the Pacific Ocean. Each of those areas have their own personalities. And so you're going to be maybe growing Cabernet Sauvignon and Zinfandel in northern Sonoma, in southern Sonoma, and in western Sonoma, both of which are near the water, you're going to be growing, and therefore cooler, you're going to be growing Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Um, and then in between, all there are all these mountains and land masses that also create separate microclimates. So Sonoma has 13 separate uh, AVAs, separate small appellations. And the book describes every single one of them. In fact, part of the point of this book is to describe every one of those small area appellations in the entire state and to say what they're like, what their growing conditions are like, what's, what's growing there, what the success is. And all of that comes in the book before we begin to talk about wineries and the wines they make. So, yes, you're absolutely right. Geography has become the driving force for understanding wine and California is a very big state, and there's lots of different conditions. Yes, wow! And you just taught me a whole lot there. And I, I've been, I, I've been an enthusiast as, as students, and I've, I, I, I've taught basic 101 classes. And um, but thank you so much because that's amazing. It's like it's a whole world within within one state. So, um, and thank you for what you do. And um, and I appreciate you answering my question so beautifully. Well, I hope you get Thanks a copy so of the book and, and uh, enjoy yeah. it and, and drop me a line. I'll yeah. tell you, one of the things about the book that's, that's interesting and different from almost any other book, um, we've created a separate website for buyers of the book who can communicate with me directly and where I'm going to put up monthly updates about new wineries, about what's happening 
with Harvest about what's going on in the industry so that this is not just a book. This is a inter whole interactive experience because the world keeps changing. Wow. That's so, that's so exciting. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for your question. Thank you so much, Kim. I really appreciate it. That was Kim from Miami, by the way, and uh, I really appreciate you calling. As always, you can call anytime. And uh, I know she also goes into our chat room and asks questions from there as well. So thanks again, Kim. Have a great evening. So um, as I said, we have a sponsor tonight, which is Charles Oaken, and we're going to have uh, another go to another commercial. Hold on one second. Connoisseur's Guide to California Wines now has an updated content-rich website which offers users an extensive new database of the magazine's exclusive reviews. Plus, at www.cgcw.com, subscribers now have access to publisher Charles Olkin's blog, wine country restaurant reviews, touring advice, and entirely new content from the 30-plus year old publication. So um, I have some questions here for, for you, and I uh, want to well. First one is from Jesus Vina, 21, from La Paz, Bolivia. And it says, it's good to you and Mr. Olkin. The show is always very informative. Thank you for that, Stu. My question for Mr. Olkin is, I'm a wine enthusiast and love California wine. As a journalist, do you think the forums for writing have shrunken in the past 30 years or expanded? Thank you, Stu, and cheers to you both. Well, they've, they've expanded dramatically as California wines expanded. Um, in the last 10 years, uh, they're changed. Uh, the whole print area is, is shrinking. Uh, newspapers are consolidating. They're cutting back. Uh, they're not doing as much with wine. And so the opportunities in, in print, particularly in newspapers, uh, have been dramatically cut back. On the other hand, right. um, the publications themselves, the print publications, the big ones, the Spectator, the Wine Enthusiast, Quarterly Review of Wines, and people like that are doing just fine. The ones that are um, advertising-driven, where they get part of their revenue from readers and part of their revenue from, uh, from advertising. The smaller right. newsletter people like myself um, are slowly migrating to online only, uh, because we don't have advertising to support the magazine. And as, as the cost of print goes up, and in our case where we buy a lot of the wine that we taste, as the cost of wine goes up, um, economics drive you out. And so there are, there are six, what I think of six good newsletters that I read, and of that, um, three of us are left in print ourselves, Robert Parker and the San Diego Grapevine. Uh, the Grapevine right, right. has just started uh, an online version. Our online version is about six years old and is now serves about half of our readership. Um, mm -hmm. And and Parker's E. Robert Parker um, is getting bigger and bigger and, and more valuable to him. And uh, so the world is shifting that way in terms of, of um, you know, where the – the paid journalism is going. On the right. other hand, right. what's changed dramatically maybe in the last five years is the advent of the blog. 
because with the internet now anybody can be a writer. If you say that you're a wine Absolutely. writer, you can publish yes. mm-hmm. on the internet. And there are probably yes, a thousand different wine blogs out there, most of which are being done by people who are doing it kind of for the fun of it. Um, right. They love wine. They love chatting about wine. And so they'll taste a wine and they'll write. They're not trying to make money at it. But they're all volunteers. Um, but then there are people who are writing, who who are trying to write almost From every day, day, are writing day. long articles on the Internet, um, who don't have subscribers but you know, take advertising like Vinography, which is a very good uh, blog, or One Wine Dude, if you... Uh, Joe Roberts, who is uh, one of the most entertaining bloggers. Uh, these are people, mm-hmm. probably particularly Joe, who intends to become, over time, a professional wine writer, a guy who grew up in industry right. but loves wine and uh, you know, has actually taken a year away from business uh, so that he can study wine full-time and advance his understanding and advance uh, you know, his, his place in the wine writing world. And so the blog right. is now the entry level place for for writing. Absolutely. And Absolutely. and it's free. It's free in the sense yeah. that you don't have to spend a lot of money to get there. The cost of entry isn't great. The question then becomes what are you trying to get out of it? Do you have a voice that people care to listen to? Do you know what you're talking about? Those right. kinds of things which are true for every writer everywhere and always have been. Doesn't matter whether you're in print or the internet, whether you're in a, in, a, in a magazine that takes advertising or you're in a newsletter, you have to be able to know what you're talking about. You have to be able to write in a way that brings people in. Um, and so now the way that that's happening uh, is on the internet through the blogs. Yes. I, I, want, I have to tell you, I have to take a, I have another uh, email question for you. Uh, this one is from, as I mentioned, Wine Bloke from London, England. And it says, cheers to both of you. Great show, Stu. Charles really knows his stuff. Big California wine drinker. Love the cabs. Is there a region outside of California that Charles likes to drink wine from? Thanks. (laughs) That's almost an unfair question. Um, (laughs) Because uh, if you look at my wine cellar, you're going to see wines from Bordeaux, from Burgundy, from the Rhone, uh, from Germany, from you know, the Mosul and the Rhine and, and the Nahe. Uh, you're going to see wines from Piedmonte and, and Tuscany. Uh, you're going to see okay. Malbecs from Argentina. And uh, I like Australian so wine, particularly Western Australia Chardonnays. And um, I like probably more than the Syrahs in Australia, I like the blends, which they call GSM, Grenache, Syrah, Mourvedre. Right. I find those a little better balanced. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm a wine drinker. I'm a fan. And so wherever there's good wine, uh, if I haven't it. been there, it's in my, it's it's on the list to get to. And, okay. I, you know, I've been to Australia four times in the last ten years. Uh, and the last time we went, my wife and I simply went on vacation. We We scheduled a few wine visits because we're there. But we went because – we like the place, and we wanted to to experience it. Uh, we're going to go to Provence, Provence this summer. Uh, you know, it's where there's good wine, you'll find the Olkins. <laughs> I 
Okay, so I've got another commercial spot for you. Hold on one second. Let's run that for you. Will you be traveling to California wine country? If so, you don't want to leave home without the New Connoisseur's Guidebook to California Wine and Wineries. Charles Oaken, the author, has jam-packed it with all the information you're going to need to know before you travel and do your wine tours. Go to www.cgcw.com and look for your copy of the New Connoisseur's Guidebook to California Wine and Wineries. The next question I've got for you, emailed in, is from Romy235 from Bucharest, Romania. And it says, I'm enjoying your show immensely, learning a lot about wine. Charles, do you find it's hard to be non-biased when you're going to the wineries and asking them to judge similar wines? Uh, well, um, that's a question I would have asked you to ask me, Stu, because... I do not mm-hmm. judge wine at wineries. Every wine that we review in Connoisseur's Guide is tasted in blind tastings on our tasting table and without the winemaker being there. I don't think it's appropriate personally to go to a winery to taste the wine with the label showing, with the winemaker there telling you what you're tasting, with the family dog licking your hand, uh, all of that to me introduces bias, and I think that the, ask, the person who asked the question uh, is concerned about that, and and I think rightfully so. And so, in the, the entire lifetime of Punisher's Guide, we have never reviewed a wine that way. We're not going to. And and I just wanted to say, I actually wanted uh, in eating that question. Obviously, I, I knew the answer to the question, and I, and I understood where they were going because I don't think that they actually had a chance to read the book yet. I think they were kind of listening but didn't actually hear um, that aspect of it. So yeah, it's we don't kind have of good many that you brought that out. I'm sorry, I was going to say, Stu, we don't have many readers in Bucharest. So it's, it's, right. it's really flattering to have somebody call in from, from that far away. Yeah, and we have another email, by the way, from uh, Sven's Vineyard from Stockholm, Sweden. And it says, Stu, great show. I love California wines. My question for Charles is, do you personally think California wine country is forward-thinking in their wine producing or still behind the times? Well, it's kind of both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of both. In, In the one hand, the thing that made California wine improve as quickly as it did in the 1970s was the embrace of, of cleaner technology, of better fermentation equipment, of, of uh, cleanliness in the winery, um, of, of finding ways to make sure that you don't introduce things you don't want in the wines, like botanomyces, right. like other kinds of things that uh, historically might happen in in old tanks or in regions that weren't paying as much attention to to technology. Uh, and so I think California got a leg up by getting in front of the rest of the world technologically. But what that's done to California is also meant that there's a certain, 
higher level of cleanliness in the wines, which at times robs them of a certain, oh, I think I'd like to use the word soul. Um, one of the guys that tastes with us uh, does distillations for uh, a company in town called Hangar One, which makes vodkas and other liqueurs. And he said, we, no, have, we have a barrel of stuff that we call Funky Monkey. And Funky Monkey, we can add that to one of our whiskeys or other things, brandies, because it's just a distillate, but it's an unclean distillate, and it adds a bottom to the wine. It, it's a base upon which all these more ethereal aromas can come out. And I think that California now, today, is beginning to look at how do you introduce complexity without losing what is our two greatest strengths, our technological advances and the fact that California produces great fruit. I mean, I've heard, had European winemakers say to me, I wish I could get the fruit that you get in California. Sure. Because they... Uh, that makes sense. They can't produce, they want the purity of flavor that you get in Russian River Pinot Noir, for instance. That's not to say that they want to make Russian River Pinot Noir. They just want some of those fruit notes that we're getting. Sure, sure. We've got to figure out ways to keep that and still add some of the complexities that uh, the more experienced areas are getting in their wines. Okay. Yeah. You know, and, and that, again, it makes a tremendous amount of sense. In that they that they approach it from from both aspects, being uh, you know kind of um, traditional in their in their uh, their approach, as well as trying to utilize uh, the technology. And as you mentioned about the fruit itself, uh, there's nothing like it. There's absolutely nothing like it. You know, I think outside of California, it's very hard to find. You know, that you will find specific types in specific areas of the wine producing world. But uh, nothing as complete in my my eyes. And I have to tell you, there's a lot of winemakers that have been able to, what I'm calling, um, have that translation from terroir to to taste. Um, I kind of I guess kind of coined that phrase of, you know, um, being able to come really close uh, to be able to to taste the uh, the the soil, if you will, or the terroir, and and really and, and translating very very well. Uh, California seems to have, I think, led a little bit on that. I've had a few guests on winemakers who, from California, oddly enough, who kind of disagree with me, but I think the fact was that uh, there's a, a sense of perfectionism in their, in their winemaking, and so there's a thought that they, they never get back to that place, you know? Um, I, my, my, I have, I usually ask questions about, uh, you know, each, each one of my guests that comes on, I, I always talk about this, uh, none of the questions are the same. I always ask each question is unique and, and to itself and to the, to the guest. But I do have a traditional question that I've, I've started uh, on the show for the past couple of shows, and I wanted to ask it of you. So um, you ready? Sure. Okay. You can have anyone you want, Charles. That's a statement. Uh, Tell me a wine that you've either had that you thought knocked your socks off or a wine you want to try out 
you know, that you, you haven't before, that you're seeking, you're looking for? Or both? <laughs> it, you know, that's, for somebody like me who tastes thousands of wines a year, um, right. they're probably <laughs> are, uh, in my experience, two or three hundred wines that if I could go back to them at their peak, I would say this is as good as it gets. Um, the right. very first one for me, when I started collecting, that became the wine I had to have was um, Beaulieu Private Reserve 1970. Wow. You know, that was just the point when I was starting to collect. You could buy the wine for $8 a bottle. Um, Chuck Wagner, uh, by the way, said the same. By the way, Chuck Wagner, I just want to interrupt you. Chuck Wagner last night said to Beaulieu, that's funny, and he said a 51. Well, the 51 is a great wine, but I didn't have the 51 when it was a baby, and neither did he. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, he said it because that was the year he was born. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he may have had it, but he, but you know, he had it in the, the way that you really understand a wine is that you've tasted it over a long period of time. Um, I've tasted the 51; it's a great wine. The 58 is a great wine, uh, Beaulieu. Um, yeah. You know, one of the great wines ever for me is 61 Obreon. Uh But my first oh, wine, my first love, ever was 1970 um, Beaulieu Private Reserve. Um, the wine that today I consider to be the best wine that I have in, in, in any kind of length in my cellar, that is more than a, you know, one bottle, is 1974 right. Heights Martha's Vineyard Cabernet. Uh, that wine uh, will come out once every couple of years for, the, for very special occasions. Uh, Absolutely. What about the, what, I question for you real quick, Charles. Yeah. What about the 60s Inglenook? Uh, you know, I never had that when it was young. And most of those wines, because they were made in large tank rather than barrel, um, right. haven't held up all that well. So I don't have that. I don't have a good memory of that wine. Okay. And it might have been a great wine no, when that it was, was young, but I, I didn't taste it young. A lot of the California guys that I've spoken to, I've had on, the winemakers I've had on, uh, a lot of them kind of harken back to England look in the 60s, the late 60s. Well, by the time you get to about 68, um, they're beginning right. to get some of their wines into bottle a little bit earlier. Uh, and some of the cask bottlings, 68 and 70, were very good. Uh, those are wines that I'm familiar with. But, for instance, 64 was a year that, aged a little prematurely. 65 didn't hold up. 66 did pretty well. Um, but the wines of the 60s, and virtually from everybody, aren't um, wines that people think of when they talk historically about great wines. But during the 60s, England probably was the leader. Yes. And that's what I said here. So I, we have actually one more commercial spot. Let me, uh, let me run that for you so everybody knows about your, your book. Charles Olkin, author of The New Connoisseur's Guidebook of California Wines and Wineries, a wine columnist in newspapers in California, and a frequent judge at international wine competitions. Go to www.cgcw.com and find out more about Charles Olkin. Uh, we have a couple minutes left here. Um, let's see. I wanted to ask... 
Are there any upcoming events or personal appearances that you want to tell my listeners about that you'll be at so they can come and, and maybe meet you and talk to you in person? Well, if they're in California, certainly. Um, we're doing a couple of appearances at uh, wine stores in the Bay Area, uh, Salon okay. Cellars uh, in, in Berkeley. Um, that date, I have to look at my calendar. Salon Cellars on the 21st at 6.30, okay. and Vintage Berkeley on Elmwood uh, on the 29th. Uh, that's in conjunction with a bookstore up there called Mrs. Dalloway. Uh, okay. We're going to wander down to Los Angeles one of these days to the Wine Country Wine Store in Long Beach, actually in Signal Hill, which is surrounded by Long Beach. Uh, sure, great sure. wine store, and we'll be down there. And um, as we get closer to the holidays, um, possibly some winery events. Now, can they follow you? Uh, is that information I take it on the website? Uh, it will be. It isn't at the moment, but uh, I've been tweeting okay. like crazy no about it. <laughs> I don't do a lot of tweeting, <laughs> but I, I have been, I've been mentioning that. And uh, Okay. Well, but, I, I friended you on uh, – or I, I, I had you set up on, on a tweet of yours now on, on Twitter, so we'll, you know, you'll, have to, you'll have to let me know about some things when you, when you travel, and, and I'll certainly let you know when I'm in your part of the town, of the world. Um, well, you should do that. You should so come by and, and, and taste wine with us. I would love to do that. Absolutely, I'll do that in a heartbeat. I'll tell you when I'm in that when I'm when I'm in your uh, neck of the woods. As a lot of my guests have, have told me that even within sniffing distance, I have to. There's no way that I can't you know ring them up and, and get together and have some have some wine. So uh, and I look forward to always doing that. So I, I have to tell you, I, I've had a great time. I've really enjoyed you being on the show. Uh, I, I've learned a lot. I know my my guests. Uh, excuse me, my uh, my my callers and uh, and the people that have tweeted and the people that are listening in worldwide have definitely learned a lot. Uh, it's really wonderful having you on as a guest, and I'd like definitely like to have you on again. There's so much more that I'd like to to ask you. Um, so I want to thank you for for coming on the show, and uh, and we'll talk again, Charles. And uh, I appreciate everything that you've done for us. Stu, thank you so much for inviting me, and uh, I look forward to seeing you and to. Uh uh, further shows. Excellent. Thanks again. Have a great evening. Thank you. Same to you. Sue. Take care. Yep. So that's the show for tonight. Uh, I want to thank uh, everyone who, did, who called in, who emailed in, who tweeted in their questions. I want to especially thank Charles Oaken for coming on and telling us all about his great book, The New Connoisseur's Guide to uh, Guidebook to California Wineries and Wines. I want to especially thank Charles Oaken, and I also want to say uh, as always, if you have any questions about the show, you can always email them to me at info at or if you're on Twitter, tweet them to me anytime you want your questions, uh, and I'll read them on the air to my guests, or I'll certainly get answers for you. You can go to my website as well at www.studentwineguru.com and click the link for all my wine articles, videos, and to listen to the archived wine talk shows, you just go to that particular uh, picture of that uh, wine guest and click on it, and it'll automatically uh, play for you. As I always say, if it's time to pour the wine, it's time for Stu the Wine Guru. Drink up, good night, and good wine.
And now, on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru.